Hi, this is Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment and this is another episode of The Tingle Zone. In this episode I'm talking with Philip Webb who is the founder and MD of Investors in Community, a blockchain digital platform that enables businesses and individuals to donate, volunteer and gift to charity and community initiatives that matter to you. Primarily it gives a platform for smaller local charities to be noticed. The platform is unique in that they generate community credits for every donor user, which enables corporates to provide comparisons, benchmarking and rewards for acts of giving. And as everything can be tracked, it makes it a much more robust way of reporting, monitoring and incentivizing corporate social responsibility. For the individual giver, it allows you to give to the charity of your choice, safe in the knowledge that there are no extra costs to be added and that every pound you give gets to where it should. One of the key themes of our discussion is around fairness, Phil's core value and the driver behind everything he does. Before we jump into the interview, do remember to download a copy of my latest book, More Than Just Money, by going to my website www.businessenjoyment.com where a pop-up should appear and allow you to put your details in. This book runs through the business enjoyment model, shows you how you can use it to find a solution to pretty much any problem and of course, it explains what I really mean when I say I want you to enjoy your business so much, it makes your bits tingle. So do check that out, but for now, sit back, relax, think about what the right thing is for you to do, and most of all, enjoy. I'm uh, Philip Webb, is my name. I'm the chief exec and founder of an organisation called Investors in Community. Uh, and Investors in Community was born about four years ago when I realized uh, two things. Number one, there was an awful lot of particularly smaller charities out there that were very underrepresented. Uh, and when we look at the statistics of three quarters of all corporate giving are given to less than 1% of charities. And that was fairly appalling. And I perhaps naively thought that was uh, more fairly spread, but it's not. Um, so I had the problem of charity representation on the one hand, and I took that problem and I went to talk to the donors and they're the businesses mostly. Uh, businesses that employ people and very regularly businesses oh yes we, we support charities they said and and we allow volunteering days and we give stuff like surplus stock or services uh, we also donate money and yes we do fundraisers and those sorts of things and that's what we do and that's what we call our corporate social responsibility CSR and that was about four years ago now CSR has moved on it's now called ESG it can be called responsible business it can be called doing the right thing. And businesses generally, particularly the smaller ones, and especially the family-run ones, have this innate sense that they want to do the right thing. Their business is not just about making profit and discharging their legal responsibility. It's about connecting to the community in which they sit, in which they serve, in which they draw employees and customers from, and giving back, if you like, connecting with those stakeholders is as much part of their DNA as anything else. And so this was the thing they called CSR, ESG, whatever you want to call it. For the purpose of today, we'll call it ESG. And that stands for Environmental Social Governance. Three aspects there. They don't link. It's three, three words. So environmental, we all know about the environment. Uh, that's to do with saving the planet, reducing wastage, having a hearts and minds approach to how we spend our energy, for example, and how we go about conducting our lives to reduce our carbon footprint. Really familiar language. The social bit of it is about supporting not just charities, there's 167,000 of those, but additionally, there's about half a million 
community groups <clears throat> and not for profits and community groups are set up pretty much by anybody there's a village one probably near you and they help to improve the profile improve the lot of the community of individual pro profile of people uh, they have very small charities and community groups around various aspects of living in a community uh, and so the businesses try to support them and they call that esg now the social bit of it um, is talked about but very very often not very well measured and so here was a problem waiting to be solved so in essence what we do is we take all the social aspects of volunteering gifting and uh, cash donations we wrap it up into an online platform which we've developed and we allow businesses to engage not just the business but their staff to engage through the platform to find local community projects that are run by the charities of all sizes and the community groups of not-for-profits asking for help so two things businesses said they said we've got real problems with choice no idea where these charities are and so we thought well yes we understand that because the little tiddly charities don't actually get a voice because they don't know how to speak and by that i mean they're usually set up around a passion around something that's happened in their lives that they want some help make better it could be anything from autism to animal welfare to looking after children or elderly care there's a whole range of things that people want to support and generally speaking similarly with very small businesses actually they don't have any business training and because of that they have no idea how to phrase what they're doing how to present it in a way which businesses say ah i can support that and so they don't get a look in so their funding comes from philanthropists they bump into at parties it's from friends and family it's from anybody that, that comes across them and they live and breathe their story and try and attract individuals to help them and occasionally a business will turn around and say we've just found you in the local chamber of commerce magazine what can we do to help but that's occasionally no structure and so this allows the business to find those charities because they're evident on our platform all their projects are there for everybody to view you can select a project in a place near you which is quite important local community regionally based for example and they can choose to help and so this whole platform was given out to say well okay look this is about unifying our society this is about bringing together the charitable good causes we'll call them that's community groups schools not-for-profits um the like with the donors that's the businesses and philanthropic individuals and unifying the two now we often hear governments particularly this government and one of their strap phrases is we're going to level up the economy the north and the south divide and you think brilliant that needs to happen but that's not going to fix very much actually what's really going to fix it what's going to make a really big difference this is the bit that makes you tingle is actually to be able to level up to make a charity or a community group as important as a business in the eyes of society how do you do that and so we invented this platform it's a structure which allows the business to join and all of its staff so every individual has a profile and then you're able to give in the ways I've described to the charities, to the community groups, to all the good causes registered and have live projects. So we've got a live marketplace for choice. And the measurement aspects was the second thing that the businesses said they struggled with. And some really big businesses, and the, the names will surprise you, so I'm not going to mention them specifically, but they're really big ones. And we use spreadsheets, they said. We got a spreadsheet for volunteering and we got one for gifting and we got a couple for and we got in every geography. We do it all over the place. And if I said to them, what did you do last September? They'll say, hang on a second. And they run off and they correlate all these spreadsheets into one, produce one big giant spreadsheet. This is what we did last September, they say. I said, great. 
what did you do last November? They said, you're having a laugh because they have to do it all over again. So all of this costly, time-consuming stuff goes into creating spreadsheets. And don't forget, when you make a spreadsheet, you tap the numbers in. And this is a problem because ESG, Environmental Social Governance, has become a government initiative. It's become led by a broader spectrum than this need just to do good, just to try and pay back. For example, the Social Value Act in January this year changed. And it changed to say that a minimum of 10% of the awarding marks in a public sector contract, so 10% of the awarding marks, is given over to the ESG. How can you show what you've done for the community? Mm. 10%. Now, last week, that went up to 20% in many of the councils around the UK. One even went to 25%. And so if you're going to go for public sector tenders, it's essential. It's not as nice. You've got to have it. Otherwise, you've lost out on 25% of the marks to start with. All of a sudden, you find things called impact investors. These are the money people that either put money into your business or indeed lend you money, such as a bank. And they're now saying, well, actually, we like to just invest in businesses that show they can do this payback, this community linking, because when you do that, you attract the customers, you attract the consumers. They spend their money where it's a nice business to spend money with. They also attract the staff because talent goes to nice companies. And so you can start to see how now this is an attraction thing, not just a nice to have greenwashing effect. And so you have the ability now to look at public sector contracts. You have investors choosing to invest or lend money to those entities. Why? Because if you do those things, you are more sustainable. More customers will come and see you for longer. Otherwise, they'll choose to switch their business somewhere else for a business that is demonstrating these things. And so it's really important. So the investors, then you'll find the customers make their choices, the staff make their choices, the brand reputation, a fragile thing. You start manufacturing clothing using child labour in Bangladesh and see how long it takes for the Sun newspaper to pick it up. And there's your brand in tatters on the floor, forget it. And so it's quite a fragile environment, this, this whole branding and the whole ESG demonstration. But the spreadsheets, you can punch any number you want in. But that's no longer acceptable because if you do that, you could put anything in there. It's the old fisherman's tale, the one that got away. It was that big in the net. By the time you got home for breakfast, it becomes that big. And by tea time in the pub, it's this big. And it's the same difference. People extrapolate. I won't use any other nasty word. It's extrapolation, we'll call it. Uh, they tend to overcook what they've actually done. And that becomes part of what is now a legal framework. It's the tenders. It's the banking, it's the lending. It's actually the ability to showcase what you've done in your year-end accounts, which is now becoming a prerequisite for the larger businesses. And they say, yeah, but Phil, that's a large business. That doesn't apply to, no, it doesn't really. You're not asked to do that just yet. However, a little bit like GDPR, if you remember GDPR when it first came out, and the, the, the data commissioners said, we're going to fine everybody if we don't find, if we find you not controlling your data correctly and you have a breach. And my little customer said, yeah, but, you know, we're, we're only this big, you know, the ICO, they don't know who we are. They're not going to fine us, are they? And I said, probably not. They said, oh, OK, that's all right then, isn't it? I said, no, I didn't say that. I said, they're probably not going to find you. But your customers who are on the radar of the ICO will force you by what we call a compliance supply chain to become GDPR compliant. And the same is going to happen for social value reporting. So that's the social governance part of ESG. So what you report needs to be conducive to actually fitting into what we're now calling an ethical supply chain. 
And the big businesses that we talk to and indeed are part of our platform are now saying, Phil, can we upload all our suppliers on there as well? Can we see what they're doing? And yes, you can. You can because you can provide a grouping effect on our platform. If you subscribe to our platform, a company can have all of its suppliers listed and those suppliers, the, the S side of it, the social activity and the social value reporting is clearly shown every single minute of every day, real time. Mm. The real time aspect's important. So no more scrabbling around putting spreadsheets together, press a button, bang, it's there. Interestingly, everybody has a dashboard showing you exactly what you've done. And the great news for any individuals listening today is this, you can have an account for free forever. It's free, nothing charged at all. Just go and sign up, create an account. You've got a dashboard showing you your volunteering, your gifting, your cash donations. And as with people like Just Giving, who, by the way, charge charities, let's not be clear about this, they charge. They charge an inflated transaction fee. They charge a monthly fee sometimes to the larger charities. They charge. And that's the one guiding principle of investors and community I was desperate to get away from. I think it's abhorrent that we charge charities for helping them. So we charge them absolutely nothing. There are no credit card fees, no transaction costs, no membership fees. We even collect the gift aid for them and pass 100% on, unlike just giving to take 5%. Now, 5% doesn't sound a lot, but take Captain Tom. Uh, out of Captain Tom's appeal, they took £300,000 to claim the gift aid. And everybody said, oh, give it back. They said, no, 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 that's our business model, they said. And that's a yesterday's business model, because if you actually know how gift aid claims are made, you press a button and it spits out the spreadsheet of all the donors and all their details, and you attach it to an email and email it to HMRC. That's the process. £300,000? I don't think so. So these are the, the stigmas and these are the yesteryear platforms that still operate, and people are sometimes unaware of the charge structures. We charge nothing. Individuals, as I said, you have a dashboard, you have a profile, charge nothing. But we do make money, and we unshamedly make money from the businesses that have a business need to count it, audit it, report it, demonstrate it, and showcase it. Now, there's a little bit of magic in the middle of this platform, and I'll call it magic because I think it really is. And, I'm, and I'll say that because I made it up in the first place, and I created this. And it's, it's something we call community credits. Mm. And for every act of giving from a business or an individual, then the system will generate community credits, which is an algorithm of your volunteering, your gifting, and your cash donations and fundraising. And so these community credits sit there as your headline figure. It's a bit like a measure of your social worth, if you want to call it that. But of course, all the employees being part of a business amalgamates to give the business a community credits figure as well. Instantly comparable, instantly benchmarkable. Um, you can reward based on it. You can do whatever you want with it. Today, it's not exchangeable. Tomorrow, we're looking at options. And wouldn't it be interesting if having earned community credits by an act of giving to a charity who needed it, you could then exchange that for some real world value. So we're looking at those possibilities as well. Mm. All of this is an ecosystem. And I call it an ecosystem because there's so many different component parts to it. And I'm perhaps talking a little bit too quickly describing everything that we can do. And I, and I can go on forever. Um, but this is, this is actually part of a movement, a shift away from what I call corporate capitalism into something more cultural capitalism something more around social capitalism if you call it that it's about the recognition that we can't go on we can't go on like this because the haves and the have-nots are getting so wide apart the fiat currency that we use the pounds the dollars whatever country we're in are very divisive and i think it's about time we recognize people's worth for their 
people's worth, as in their social worth, as in who are you, what have you done for others, not what have I got for myself. And community credits is that currency. It's what have you done for others. Mm. And that's really important. So that's a bit of magic in the middle, which gives it a completely different dimension to anything else out there. We are the only platform that unifies those ways of giving. We are the only platform that provides community credits. We are the only platform that is business orientated and takes its money from businesses in order to make it free for the charities. Mm -hmm. And that to me is ethically, morally, the right platform, the right model, and it's right for the future. All the platforms you've heard of before, they, have, they serve their place yesteryear. We are the now and we are the future. Uh, and that's what investors and community is. And that's our vision and where we intend to go. Brilliant. Thank you for that. And, uh, and as you sort of alluded to there, a uh, brief intro. <laughs> <laughs> you get me going. I can't stop talking about it. So. <laughs> the passion's there, absolutely sure. But, it, but it's that, that key thing, because it's, it's been one of those things in my mind in terms of, you know, how do you make change in, in these sort of, you know, my, 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 my mission is changing the measure of success. And, and how do you bring things into it that's other than money? And you either find a way of trading things in a non-monetary sense or monetize the thing that you want to happen. And that's exactly what you've done there with yes. these community credits, which I just think is fantastic. If we can actually get people to really just make it really clear how they effectively can make more money by helping more people, <laughs> it, it starts flowing, doesn't it? It does. I mean, you, you can, there's a very causal link for a business in particular, how you make more money, mm. uh, because simply put, you'll attract more customers. Mm. You will attract the very best staff. You'll attract the deal, the right investment deal. And by the way, we're talking to a major bank at the moment. We're suggesting they might offer a half percent discount on loans if you're engaged with investors and community. Because mm. wow. that's how much they recognize that that's, it's not just a free giveaway for them. They recognize the risks in that business are lower because you've got the potential of attracting the staff, the customers, the brand reputation, and all those things come together to form a future-based business, as opposed to one that's stuttering in its dying throes as it loses staff, loses customers, and ends up with a tarnished brand. So they're not daft, they're not giving it away for nothing, but they're right, they're recognizing social value in a mm. very tangible way. So in terms of making more money, you've got your customers, you've got your money in terms of investors, uh, and obviously you've got your staff, um, and then also you've got the other aspects to it in terms of your suppliers and your supply chain, which is really important. Um, and you've also got something called staff engagement. And it's an interesting little story, actually. I was talking to a, an employee of a very large insurance company, and uh, she said, oh, we, we're given three days a year to volunteer. And I said, that, that's really nice. Um, what do you do? Well, I say volunteer, she said. I, I don't want to do another one. She said, I said, well, what's the problem? She says, we're not volunteered, she said. We don't, we don't volunteer for stuff, actually. We're voluntold. And they're told where to go and what to do. So I was, I was told to go and do some gardening in this, this elderly care home. She says, I hate gardening with a passion. She said, I can't stand it. It gets under my nails and all sorts. I can't do it. She said, it's horrible. And that volunteering day was the most unhappiest day of my life, she said, because I just hated doing it. So volunteering in a true sense, giving people that choice I spoke about earlier, it's really important because you're getting mm. properly engaged. And a happy employee, statistically, will be higher productivity, higher performance, and those things naturally must tend towards a higher profitability of the company and a more efficient business as well. Mm. So there's lots of non-intangibles. They're actually very tangible these days of causal links why social value will attract the good uh, and start to move your business forwards. And yes, make more profit. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. Shouldn't be ashamed of it either. 
if you're doing social value to to make your business more resilient more sustainable more profitable that's fine that's exactly why we should be doing this absolutely and um and i like that thing about the the, the choice because that just makes things much more powerful anyway and and a question because Obviously, when we talk about charities, it's the simple giving money to a charity, let them do what they do. There's the donation of hours, as you've alluded to there, and, and, and the, the old CSR digger garden type sort of uh, situation, um, which is also measured, as you say, as a way of measuring that. Um, is there scope within your platform for uh, what you alluded to earlier on about actually helping the charities with the business side of it? So is there a, a kind of a mentorship scheme where so we had a conversation in one of our groups about um say just giving throwing money at things is not always the best thing to do sometimes it's getting oh. people to be able to use that money in the right way kind of thing and learn from it so there's stuff in there as well to be able to sort of really make a difference in growth as well as just giving money at things you know what the best gift a business can give a charity is their professional time and um, we call it pro bono uh, volunteering or professional volunteering and it has a category in our platform it's measured separately and if you give, say, if you're an accountant, a lawyer, a digital marketeer, for example, and you give a charity your skills, that transfers knowledge, which makes them better, more efficient. It teaches them things to help them grow themselves. And that's a really valuable aspect of what a business can do is to give professional time. It's not about money. Uh, for many charities, they've been brought up in the age of... Uh, they brought up a little bit regressive in terms of being like a Victorian child saying, you know, please, sir, can I have some more? Um, and, you know, that's the sort of style of a lot of charities is the hands cupped like this. But that's actually counterproductive. What they should be asking is, what do we need and how do we get it? Mm. So, for example, we had a charitable project launch a little while ago and it's asking for, for a million pounds, which is a big ask of any project, frankly, no matter what you're asking for and who you're asking it from. And we phoned them up. And they said, what are you trying to do? They said, we're trying to save lives by helping people to understand how to avoid drowning in lakes and rivers. It's an educational package for schools, all the schools in the whole UK, a million pounds. So I said, well, how much does it cost for a single school? They said 800 pounds. So we said, OK, go back to the drawing board and start, start to slice this down into areas. Let's look at the areas, because if you put a school up there or a bunch of three or four schools in a geographic area and ask for a few thousand pounds, you've got the PTAs. You've got the local businesses who'll be interested. That's how you'll raise your million pounds. It's a bit like eating an elephant. You eat it one bite at a time, don't you? So we try and educate charities on how to do that. But also with community credits, we're trying to say to charities, look, you've got what those businesses desperately need, which is an opportunity to show the world how nice they are, how to show they're a good business, how to fulfill their ESG credentials, how to get those reports that gives them more sales, tenders, access to money, people, consumers, they need you. And so this is what I meant by leveling up, making the charity as important as the business. Mm. There is a nice symbiotic relationship to be had here. And the last point you raised is about how do we know what, it's, what happened, I think. And so it's called an impact statement. And, and if you give money to somebody, if you're walking down the street, for example, you throw a couple of pounds or five pounds in a bucket, you'll say, oh, I've given to charity today. And for a few minutes, you'll feel really happy until you realise you haven't got enough money for the bus fare home. But apart from that, it's about, you know, feeling good in the second. But actually, and this goes for very big businesses. Well, I spoke to one of the major four retailers a few months ago. I said, yeah, Phil, we give 2.2 million to charities. And I said, brilliant. I said, oh, what happens? Well, we, I've just told you we give 2. Point, I heard that bit. 
what do the charities do with it? Well, they're, they're, they're charities and we give to, I said, yeah, I've, I've heard all that. Said, You've got no idea, have you? And what happens with that money? They said, not really. I said, so what's the point in giving the money unless you know what's happened so you can get the social media stories out that you help to do this, so you can feed back to your staff that they help to perform this function, that their volunteering made a difference. And so at the end of every project, the charities are required to fill out what we call an impact statement. It's very simple. It tells you what happened, put some pictures up there, link to a video if you'd like, thank people, make it personal, and the impact statement is also notified back to the business or individual donors that help to make it happen. And those impact statements are almost ready-made social media stories as to what we've done. Mm. And you talk about you know media and social media, and I've, I've, I read lists of this stuff as everybody does. You know, John and Sally joined the sales team. Good for them. You know, we've won this great order. That's good. Well done. Uh, we've helped 15 children achieve this level of literacy through helping them with volunteering. That's nice. And that's where my eyes stop. And the social media stories are about demonstrating, exemplifying what we are as a business and how we specifically help those that need it. So impact statements is the feedback mechanism that gives the business, the donors, that information they want to actually say, I don't just feel good for a few seconds now. I'm feeling really good for quite some time. And it's the essence of investors and community. If you boil our brand wheel down, the essence at the very heart of the wheel, the hub of what we do is just two words. And those two words are feeling good. And that's what we try to as essence in everything that we have in the platform. Um, so yes, it's, you're right. It's the measurement, it's the feedback. It's actually demonstrating and proving using what we call verified data, not spreadsheet entries, verified data by an external platform that you can use for hard commercial reasons to better your business and provide better good news stories for your brand. That's fantastic. It, you say it takes it away from a box ticking exercise of I've done my good good bit for the day to actually you know verifiable, understandable stories. You can see the real uh, change that's happening and that then allows you to connect better with the outcome. So you get back to that choice, you make the right choice because you know what you're contributing to and you can see where it goes as well. Absolutely. Really important. So, um, yeah, it's not just thrown away. Uh, sometimes it can feel you just see that it goes in the black hole. Um, important question uh, for you. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting also with the, the when you talked about charities and how they got created, these small ones, that normally there's some personal story for each one and say a particular passion and that's where it's come from. Yeah. What's your story? What's your personal <laughs> passion that's led to this? Well, I was, um, I used to work for IBM. I, I've got number 96079 tattooed in my head somewhere. Um, that's from 1980s. Um, so I left IBM. I set up my first business in 1990. We, we grew it from a bedroom startup to about six and a half million and sold it. And I've been serially entrepreneuring since in private sector, making small businesses work. Um, I was, I guess I was fairly blinkered in the approach that that was all I really knew about and therefore that's what I did and I, I did it fairly well um, but obviously I came about four or five years ago I was riding a motorbike uh, for charity and I, I was roped into it by a bunch of friends I said yeah I'll organize the, the, the Leeds end of it if you like they were coming up from London so we did this I organized three little routes at the top there and I called it the Cloverleaf tour and they said that's brilliant we love that can we have it I said yeah of course you can and it's for a little charity that specialised in neuroblastoma, which, for those of you who don't know, affects children from birth to five years old. Um, very often it's terminal. 
Uh, it's a very sad thing to happen to any parent and it touched my heart as it will touch most. And, and we rode and we raised lots of money and it was less than 10,000 pounds. It wasn't a huge sum of money, um, but actually donating that money to the charity, they were effusively thankful. And that's what started my curiosity to say, well, surely this can't mean so much to you. Oh, it does, she said. It'll keep us going for months. I thought, months, 10,000, what's going on? Uh, and then I started to dig into the people that run these charities and what amazing people they are. They're totally focused on the cause. Uh, the smaller charities are built up around the cause, around their skills and desire to help in that particular area. And I learned the story. And then I went to test the, my understanding of how they didn't connect with businesses and donors and how they struggled and found it replicated over every small charity I could find. I went to talk to the big charities and some of the big ones, they've got oodles of money, and I mean oodles. Um, I was on a, a different podcast a while ago and they, they got branded the Bugatti charities um, because out of all the surpluses, they've got big shiny buildings and they drive these Bugatti cars and I think they're having a whale of a time with chief execs on several hundred thousand pounds a year. Surely that's not right. Now, every business, let me make it clear, is sorry, every charity is a business with a charity dispensation. So they should be running as businesses, but not to the extremities that take them outside the ethical use of the donated money. When I give money to a charity, I don't expect it to go and put a tank of fuel on the Bugatti. I expect a good proportion of it to go to the cause that I'm asked to support, whatever that cause is. And so this, this is a bit that tickled me, that got me quite riled up actually. I got quite annoyed about this whole situation. So that's where it came from. And of course, my experience talking and selling computer systems mostly to businesses gave me the corporate link and my background in IBM and my knowledge of databases gave me an understanding that I could have a database written. And so we set about partnering. We've partnered with an IBM house called Cognition Foundry, amazing incubator unit for tech for good companies. They choose their customers um, and they built us a blockchain platform. Um, and for those of you who don't know what blockchain is, I'm not going to spend today explaining it because I probably wouldn't be able to anyway. But blockchain basically means it's massively scalable and it's massively secure. And so those are the two elements which we wanted, because this is not just a UK thing. This is an overseas thing as well. And we're talking to India, we're talking to the UAE, we're talking to America uh, about putting this platform into those locations as well, um, because it's about spreading the whole model as far and wide as we can, because every time it spreads, people get helped, community credits get earned and recognition is given. Mm. And those aspects alone are worth the mission that I'm on to basically unify societies the world over and make investors in community and community credits the standard, I'll call it a currency of giving. And, and that's what this is all about. Mm. Yeah, um, totally on board with everything you're saying. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm just going to dig a little deeper, <laughs> if that's all right. So I told your story about, you know, what, what you see when, when you um, see the story of the, the small charities struggling and knowing that you can help change the way things make, make total sense. Um, when you got really riled about how you could see the big charities having the money and the stuff going the wrong place, where... I, I totally get why that might rile you up, but why particularly you? What's what? What is it in your background that makes you say this? What you know, this value of fairness. Where does that come from? The value of fairness um, was installed in me a long time ago by a man called Albert Humphrey. Humphrey was friends, uh, and Humphrey's an American. Uh, nobody knows him, but everybody knows what he did for the world, and it was this. 
he created the SWOT analysis. A uh, little bit off subject now, but SWOT analysis <laughs> uh, was created in 1966. I was lucky enough to bump into Humph in 1990, just set my first business up, which is why it was so successful, because he taught me how his programs worked. And SWOT was only a, a jigsaw piece in the middle of a much bigger picture called Team Action Management. And Team Action Management was deployed into companies that wanted to affect people-based change. And everybody's been talking about process changes. Well, mm. processes break, and guess what? People fix it. People are the things that make the difference in most organizations. And so fairness was one of the elements, one of the psychological elements that was built into the team action management program. And fairness is actually the, the thing that weaves the whole program together, which is why it makes it so successful. And it is possibly the most successful rapid change development program for people-based organizations that has ever been known but actually Humph was a very particular private guy and didn't market himself very well so nobody knows this um, but he told me that the fairness was the second most powerful driver for human emotive response which is quite interesting it sits above greed it sits above all the things that you would normally anticipate would drive human nature and fairness is the most incredibly powerful thing and if you think about it people talk about fairness a lot our kids do, don't they? They say, it's not fair, dad, you know, done this, done that. Um, it's not fair this has happened. We come home from work and say, well, it wasn't fair what happened today. We still use the words in our adult life. And we also tell people when we've reached what we call a threshold of fairness, because you can't have absolute fairness with everybody because that's not mm. possible, but you can reach a threshold above which you say, that's acceptable amount of fairness. And we say it and you'll hear the words and people say, fair enough. <laughs> and when you hear that, and you'll think, oh, yeah, of course they do. They say it all the time, don't they? They do. Yeah. Fairness is a built-in psychological hardwired reaction to the world around us. And so fairness is, is an innate part of my business training from 30-odd years ago. And it's uh, also been the subject of my psychology studies over the years as to how, if you can install fairness into a situation, how productivity performance rises. Mm. What's not fair is a huge disparity between the haves and the have-nots. And indeed, I talked to the bigger charities, and they, they also had a problem, by the way, and their problem was connecting to the communities. And I'll illustrate it like this. If you are giving to the British Heart Foundation, they're a fantastic charity, by the way, I'm not deriding them anyway, you might find it difficult from a cold start, as it were, to pick them as a charity, unless you had a first-hand experience of a, a heart problem with yourself or with your immediate family or friends in which case you will be likely to support them and the fantastic work they do. But they're not the one, the first choice when you talk about local charities. However, the British Heart Foundation set up a project to put a defibrillator device in a disused phone box in a remote village. You think, great, I can, I can give to that. That's a local effect, if you like. Just don't answer the phone on the way back from the pub at night. <laughs> so, and this is an example of bringing a national situation into a local project. And that's what our platform does as well. Mm. The large charities can create absolute local relevance by the deployment of small projects to engage the community in the work that they do. Mm. And fairness is about the little charities and the big ones having the same playing field, the same marketplace on our platform, the same size square that represents their project as each other. And that surely is fair that they're able to represent themselves on an equal footing. Mm. How um, do you monitor that, manage that? So, you know, if I'm British Heart Foundation, I'll say I've got 100 projects. I want to put 100 projects up where, of course, 
small charities just got their only project kind of thing so how do you manage that fairness that's all right i mean any any charity of any size can launch as many projects as they wish as often as they like uh the thing about the marketplace is it's sliceable and diceable so you can search by genre you can search by type of giving that's the volunteering gifting and volunteering and cash donations you can select by that and you can also select by geography so if you're a business or you're a, a particularly generous donor you're not going to look to you know the south coast if you're in north yorkshire to give to a charity because you think you want to give to a charity that day it'll either be a specific link or you'll do a search and that search will bring things closer to home and so that's why you can have 100 projects if you wish um, there are at least two or three hundred regions in the UK within the five mile radius of yourself. So it will be spread nice and evenly across the across the UK. Um, and that seems to work. It's a self-regulating thing. Mm. Mm. And so as long as they are, are they sort of required to attach a geographical element to it or something or, or, or yes. define it in some way so you can yeah, yeah. In that thing. So, so yeah, did, this, this the nearest city uh, and obviously they can then describe what they're doing in that city. Yeah, yeah. So they can do that so when you search for the town or the city or even the village you can go really quite quite micro actually uh, and pick one very very close to you which is uh, of relevance yeah. so and that gives you that the other fairness aspect is that for for many what we call SaaS platforms that's software as a service which indeed we are we provide the service to the businesses and by the way the charities get the same service for free that's our, our ethos but the businesses themselves you normally go into places like you know chambers of commerce and larger organizations and they say if you're a business naught to 10 employees you pay this much and if you're 11 to 49 you pay this much and 51 to 200 is this and then above that's a different price but they're always at blunt prices they're never tailored to exactly what you have and that's the difference between us we charge 10 pounds per employee to the business so if you have five employees it's 50 pounds the entire year unlimited use <coughs> if you have 5,000 employees, it actually tapers off, actually. So it will actually work out at around £22,000. But for 5,000 employees, that's a big company. Mm. That's an awful lot of spreadsheets you're now not having to do. That's an awful lot of time you're saving. And that's an awful lot of staff that you will engage. And even if they gave an extra 1% more effort as a result of being positively engaged, that will make a huge difference to the top line gross profit or indeed the net profit of the business. So it's a very, very accessible price point for businesses of all sizes, and you can flex up and flex down depending on your workforce size from time to time as well. And that, again, is, is fairness. So fairness, I think, is, is for me, it's, I've grown up with it. Um, I know the reasons for it psychologically and in business. And I guess that was the, the underlying driver, I think, which to answer your first question was the thing that sort of drove me into the principles of the platform. Mm. And, and obviously you say that you met Humph when you were setting up your first business. So you were, it, it was, it's instilled through all the companies you've run, I'm guessing from what you've said. Um, and you said you grew up with it as well. So it's always been through your <clears throat> life. Yeah. And I've studied the psychology of fairness as well at postgraduate level. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, human nature is fascinating. Um, it actually hasn't changed very much over the, over the thousands of years. Um, there's a, there's a little quote that says, uh, I noticed that I can improve the performance of my workers if I explain the reasons for their work. Name that date. And most people say, oh, it's about 1950s, 1960s. No, it's 40 AD. All right, it's a guy called Cornelius, a Roman landowner. So people never change. 
You can put all the iPhones in their hands as you like and all the technology around you. The basic stuff inside of us, the innate sense of wanting fairness, of wanting to help one another really, mm. uh, of yes, improving our lives, but not at the expense of everybody around us, is almost hardwired into DNA. So people don't change. The ways of expressing it do. And of course, we offer the platform as the, the avant-garde solution to helping you to help others. Uh, for an individual, cost you nothing. For a charity, cost you nothing. For a business, a nominal subscription annually. Mm. Uh, and that's the way we operate. And it's unique. It's not been done before. Uh, we're the first to market in many, many different features and ways. Uh, and we intend to blow this into the, into the world stage uh, from sunny Chesterfield in the UK. <laughs> what does it look like in working on the world stage? Is, it, is the intention to keep it one big thing that you can search on or are you going to sort of um, break it down into each individual country and search by area or what's, what's the vision? Uh, to answer your question, the answer is both. Um, some countries uh, would like to have a specific country focus, which can be done, of course, and all this data is in the, in the blockchain database. So you can search on it and present the data as you wish. So you could, in fact, be sitting here in, in the UK and want to help somebody in uh, Bangladesh. And so by searching for the country of Bangladesh, all the projects could come up for that particular area. Um, so that's our vision of how we do this, to make it a truly global platform, interfaceable at all different levels, uh, with charities and community groups that are checked to the point where we can anti-money laundering check them and try and check their credentials. So the first bid is done, and then the rest of it is down to the individual whether they choose to give to that particular project or charity mm. the world over. Um, very often we find impoverished parts of the world or you find a disaster zone in the UK or, or anywhere else and you want to chip in your five, ten pounds to the disaster zone or send them some sleeping bags or blankets. Um, these things should be accessible from one screen and will be. And so you're able to give to those, those particular hotspots of, of poverty or disaster. Uh, and disaster recovery is quite interesting because we can actually set up specific searches on the platform. So if you, but you're in Wakefield, I think, and uh, in Wakefield, we have a project running that's uh, all about uh, trying to eradicate rough sleeping. Now, rough sleeping in itself is usually a reportable problem because people don't like to see people sleeping in their shop doorways. It's a huge inconvenience. Goodness me, tidy it up. Well, actually, it's, it's far more deep than that. These individuals, sometimes they're ex-service personnel, They've, they've lost their way, they can't connect with society. There's usually a number of different issues underlying. There's no good taking them and putting them in a hotel or a, a temporary accommodation. You won't fix the mindset that led them to rough sleep. It's about mental health challenges. It's about substance abuse sometimes. It's about complex needs. And any one individual is not qualified to look at those things. So our platform brought 28 charities, all specialising in those aspects I've talked about and more together on the platform in a searchable program that businesses and individuals can say, I'm going to contribute to that. I'm going to help. Mm. So we can actually almost act with a laser-like focus in a geography around a particular problem and marshal the resources of the people giving and the people who know how to fix i.e., the charities and actually pull them together and focus them very clearly. And that's a very powerful thing to do um, from a single, single space. Mm. Uh, yeah, very powerful. And um, something else earlier in there they said I just want to tap into as well, is you talk about checking charity and you talk about financial checks and making sure they're credit worthy and those sort of things. Do you do other checks as well to make sure that they are doing what they say they're meant to be doing, that they are a valid charity and that the money goes to them, does what it's... I know you've got your impact statement, but 
What's the um, what the checks on the charity themselves? Uh, I've had a pound for every time I've asked that question. Well, so I thought I'd get it in there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Stops all the charities to ask you the question, then. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, so charities themselves, by their nature, are registered with the Charities Commission in the UK. Uh, and the Charities Commission are the governance, the oversight body, if you wish, that actually checks the accounts, checks the year-end statements, and tries to make sense of what they do. Uh, there are quite a lot of issues with charities um, in the UK, particularly. There's been quite a few poor reports, and indeed internationally, uh, of poor behaviour or poor use of funds. Um, and we can't necessarily go into a charity in that depth and that detail to actually form a, a subjective judgment on whether we think that charity is right or wrong. Uh, we can only rely on the governance structures around them. So we do the AML checks. That's the person running it is personally ID'd. Uh, the bank is checked to make sure that it relates to the charity concerned. And before that's done, they can't receive a penny. Even if you've donated money, it's held until that check is complete and then released. And so that's the, the process, if you wish, to, to, to look at the financial judgment of the charity. Apart from that, no, it's a question of you, you, if you know the charity, you can do your homework. Um, we encourage charities to put as much information in their profile and in the projects, two different things. Their profile is the general oversight of who we are, what we do, how we do it. That's their opportunity to showcase we give 84 pence in the pound of every pound received and the rest of it is spent on our overheads, but they're small and the rest of it's passed on. Now, that's a viable story. OK, say it. But very often charities say we give a minimum 17 pence in the pound. And you think, wow, really, is that all you're giving? Um, and they're out there. And you think, well, it's up to the charity to show its credentials positively so people looking at them can make an informed judgment and say, that sounds reasonable. But don't forget, every charity is a business. They've got overheads, they've got costs. Yes, they have. And they pay salaries. And so all those things should be in that, that particular mix. But in terms of some charities saying, well, we, we spend 17 pence in the pound or 85 pence in the pound, you make your own judgments. And people will make their own judgments. And for that reason, it's almost self-regulatory because... If I'm going to give money to a charity that I haven't a clue who they are, I think I might do some research first. There might be a good reason for me wanting to do it, or I'll go and choose somewhere else. So it's almost a self-regulating thing through a wonderful human trait called suspicion. <laughs> the power of the cynic. Absolutely. Um, and again, you know, I, I mean, the, the impact statements you talked about, are they made publicly available as well? So obviously they'll act as an element of that research and checker. They are. Yeah. And in due course, we're going to introduce a type of trusted, you know, trusted trader type thing where star ratings are, are applicable. Um, so we're working with uh, the CSR accreditation company and we're working with Charity Excellence. So they're two bodies which look at the Charity Excellence, looks at how a charity is run. It's free, by the way, charityexcellence.co.uk. And you can engage as a charity and you can put your vision, your mission, your values, your financial statements, how you manage and it will make recommendations. It's a very clever system as to how you improve that charity. And it will give you an ultimate star rating, which we intend to integrate back into IIC at some point. Uh, CSR accreditation is for the businesses. And that's for businesses who want a star rating, if you wish. And they can go through a process with CSR accreditation, who are an international accreditation scheme that we partnered very closely with to give businesses the opportunity to follow through and say, we have the stamp of approval from a recognized external body. So they can have chats the accreditation with CSRA and the charities can go to Charity Excellence uh, and bring the two things together 
we promote best practice wherever possible. Brilliant. I love it. It's a, uh, it's a fantastic system and um, where it can go uh, could have a massive impact on the way business and charity combine, which is exactly your, uh, your plan. We um, certainly hope so. I'm registered on there. Um, I've, I've got my own methodology of, of uh, giving back in th through what I do. So percentage of everything I earn, but also um, when good things happen, I, I make sure something happens. So um, everybody who downloads and listens to this podcast, there's a contribution made to a food bank in the Wakefield area for every download that, that uh, comes through as an example of the sort of things that I track and measure. And, uh, you know, your website will help me uh, do that even better. So thank you very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. So <laughs> for anybody listening today, um, I just like your support and the support will cost you nothing. Uh, I'd like you to go to our platform, which is www.investorsincommunity.org uh, and simply sign up and it will cost you nothing as an individual or as a business. It will cost you nothing at all. The profile for the individuals is forever free businesses if you like what you see you can subscribe at a level you choose starting from 10 pounds from one person through to as many people in your workforce as you wish to involve but the statement of registration tells me you're interested it tells us that we're on the right track and that you believe in the sanctity of fairness and the preferential treatment of charities to move them to more leveled up position to unify our society in the future uh, and yes to use a well over of his used phrase make this world a slightly better place brilliant and just bringing it all together and obviously you've touched on all the, the key points anyway but just sort of summarize it nice well because uh, the question i have to ask you um philip what makes your bits tingle what makes your bits tingle goodness it's it's actually the impact statements it's actually when i read those that makes me a bit tingle because that tells me that a charity has done something fantastic that a business or a donor has helped them to do it and this is the outcome. And some of our impact statements, they do bring a tear to your eye. It's been amazing what has happened already. And don't forget, we're not a very old business. We're just starting down this route. Uh, what is possible in the future, anybody knows. But impact statements are the things that really switch me on because that shows it's working. That shows we are a caring, compassionate society. And that shows that we're doing the right thing. Beautiful. I can hear it in your voice as you're talking about it. The passion just comes through. It's fantastic. Uh, it's a brilliant model. Um, uh, I recommend everybody uh, check it out because whether you just want to donate or actually donate some time or make sure it goes to the thing, your your contributions go to the, the right thing. It's this, uh, this is what it's all about. The, the, the purpose that we lead, the difference we make in other people's lives. And, um, you know, most of our lives are spent looking after ourselves, making sure we're OK. And then the rest of our lives should be about making sure everyone else is OK and um and that's the way that uh, we get a get a fairer world <laughs> really sorry after. philip been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on thank you so much for what you're doing and uh i look forward to the uh the global expansion of uh, investors in community andrew thank <laughs> I, you very much indeed brilliant thank you bye-bye now these podcasts are not necessarily here to give you all the answers i want you to think about what's been said what's come up and how you might apply that to your own situation and if you've enjoyed it, then please subscribe to the podcast and, of course, share it on the social media platforms and so more people get a chance to hear what's going on. Thanks very much for listening. My name's Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment and I want you to enjoy your business so much it makes your bits tingle. <laughs>